All right, so uh, we continue today in 1 Corinthians. Now we are, uh, I don't know, four ish weeks into this series. We're, we're, we're entering into 1 Corinthians 3 today. We'll actually be tackling the first nine verses, verse 1 through verse 9, so you can track with um, and you'll know how much longer you have to sit there. Um, Newsflash, it's a while. Um, do the math. It's like 10 minutes a verse. It's not that long, I promise. Uh, but we're going we're gonna to dig into this today. But before we start um, getting into the text, uh, I, I just want to give you an overview of what Paul's talking about today. And, and today, uh, as we dig in, Paul shifts a little bit. Still talking about division. Remember, he's been talking about division since chapter 1. And so we've been working through this because it's one of the main issues that the church has is they're divided. And so he's been talking to them about this division for some time. But what happens is we're going to get to this text today where he's going to start talking specifically about where the division is coming from. Right? And we talked about whether it was division over, over doctrine, division over preferences and all of those things. But, but today he's going to go even deeper and he's going to get to the fundamental foundational core of how as a church they can be divided. And, and what it's going to come down to is he's going to say, and listen, these are Paul's words, not mine. Okay, so, so give me some grace here. Um, but basically he says, you're acting like babies. What he means when he says you're acting like babies is that you're acting like spiritual infants. Right? You're not mature. You're immature. You're acting like you became a Christian yesterday. Right? Infants. Babies. And we're going to see how that, that works through. And, and, and one of the realities about the Christian life is we know this. As Christians, we are supposed to grow. We are supposed to grow up. Right? We, we, we are born again in the Spirit... And we're like babies, and then we're supposed to grow up. Now, it's not easy to do, but it's the call. Something Paul tells us. He tells us in, in, in the book he writes, the letter he writes to the church in Philippi, he says that growing up as a Christian is a lot like running a race. And not like a short race, but like a marathon, like a race. Right? And we said this in the first service. I know there are some of you that run marathons because apparently you're mad at yourself and you're bored and you have nothing better to do. Right? There's no other reason why that would be a hobby. Right? But there are some of you that do it. And, and you run. And, and Paul says that, that running or living the Christian life, growing in faith, is like running a race. Not a short race, a long race. And not running so that you can finish, but running so that you can win. Right? And it takes dedication and endurance and training and effort and all of these things. And, and, and that's what it's like to grow as a Christian. It doesn't happen by chance. You'll never accidentally grow in faith. Here's the deal. I will never wake up one day and be like, that was a really good night's sleep. I'm a runner now. Right? Like I slept really, really well. Bring on the marathon. It won't work. It doesn't happen by accident. I may have a change of heart. I may someday have an aha moment where I say, you know what? I want to be a runner. And I decide in my head and in my heart that today is the day I am a runner. That might be real. 
for me. Like a real conversion from a guy that thinks running is dumb, right, to a guy that thinks running is awesome. I may have that real conversion, and here's the deal. Even after I have that real experience where now I'm a runner, like if somebody said, like, who thinks running is awesome? I'd be like, yes. Yeah, it is. I'm still not ready to go run because I'm brand new at this. And it's going to take striving, and it's going to take life change, and it's going to take effort, and it's going to take work. That's going to be hard. You know what's going to be hard? Because donuts are delicious. You know what's going to be hard? One word. Tacos. It's going to be hard because the couch is comfortable. And relaxing is nice. So I may have had a real epiphany where I decide that I want to be a runner. Right? But that doesn't mean tacos stop being delicious. And it doesn't mean relaxing stops being nice. It means that if I'm going to accomplish what I set out to accomplish, I have to power through. I have to strive. I have to work. That's what the Christian life is like. Listen, um, far too many times, especially in this culture, um, we are led to believe that when I become a Christian, that if I do it right, that's supposed to make my life easy and simple. And I can go live my best life, my easy life, enjoying all of the blessings that God wants to pour on me. And it's going to be simple and easy. And the, the reality is it just doesn't work that way. Here's the truth. Christian life is hard. And the longer you live it, oh, please listen to me. The longer you live it, the harder it gets. In a lot of ways... Living the Christian life is far more difficult and demanding than the life that you lived before you became a Christian. And I know that sounds weird, right? Because here's what we know. Paul's already told us this, that what we know is that when we are born again, we are given the Spirit of God. We are made new, right? We are, we are given God's Holy Spirit, the power of God living in us. How in the world is living life harder now when we have the Holy Spirit of God living in us? And I know that gets confusing, but, but it's true. Like, Read Ezekiel. This is, this is the, the prophet Ezekiel talking about being made new. This is looking ahead prophetically about what it will mean to be, to be having the Holy Spirit in you, to make new in Christ, the gospel. It says, I'll sprinkle clean water on you. Talking of the future day that we have experienced. I'll sprinkle water on you and, and you shall be clean from all of your uncleanness and from all of your idols. This is the righteousness of Christ now through Christ that we get to have. He's like, I'll do that for you. I'll make you clean. Right? I'll cleanse you. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit. You will be born again in the Holy Spirit of God. I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I'll put within you. And I'll remove the heart of stone from your flesh. And I'll give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. And, and so here's what, what God says. He's like, when you become a Christian, I give you a new heart. I give you a new spirit. That is the power of God living inside of you. That is the mind of Christ. That is being born again in the Holy Spirit. 
I cannot stress to you enough that you have the power of God living in you. The Holy Spirit of God lives in you. But yet I can say with confidence that this life is hard for the Christian. And here's why. Because from the moment God gives you a new heart, from the moment you are born again, until the moment you are with him in heaven, you are swimming against the current. Because all of the world is going this direction. And so were you. You were just floating along in that direction, that heavy current. You were going that way. And then God gave you a new heart and he turned you around and he said, now you go the other direction. And you are swimming against the current. You are like a salmon swimming upstream. It is exhausting and it is hard. There is pressures everywhere. The world goes a direction that you are no longer wanting to go because you are now in Christ. And it's exhausting. The Christian life is hard. Right? And it's not just hard because of the world. The world, the things that are outside of us. Right? The systems that are outside of us that push against us. Here's an easy example, and I use this one a lot because statistics tell me that most of you are watching it. Men, women, doesn't matter. Kids, most of you are watching porn. You're not supposed to be. It's ungodly. It's sinful. Right? But, but good research that we trust tells us that most of us are. Right? And so, so here's, here's what we know, right? The world is pushing hard against us. Images of sexuality everywhere pushing against us. Availability of things that we have no business being a part of pushing against us. That's the world. And that's problematic. But it's not the only problem. And this is where Paul says today, when it comes to division or any other problem, we're going to get to the heart of it. And it's not the world pushing against you. It's your flesh that builds bridges, right? You're, you're swimming against the stream and the world is pushing back. And then in your flesh, here's what you do. Because in your flesh, inside of you, in your nature, your sin nature, you, you, you have lust. And so you build a bridge. And you let that thing come into your life. Like the world does not cause you sin. The world pushes against you and it's hard. Temptation, struggle. The world pushes against you and it's hard. But you yourself are the one that builds bridges to let that sin come in. That's the flesh. And that is the struggle that the church in Corinth is having. It's their flesh. Because they didn't grow up. Because they're still acting like babies. So all of their turmoil and strife is happening because they're acting like infants. They're childish. This is what Paul's going to say when he, when he picks up in 1 Corinthians 3. Right? He says that, that the world is pushing against them. Yeah, but their flesh is what's getting them in trouble. And the reason their flesh is causing trouble is because they haven't grown up yet. Because they're still acting like babies. Here's what's happened. They've walked through the door. They've walked through the door of Christianity. They've accepted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. That's real and it's legitimate. They've walked through the door. And then they've stopped right there. They've gone no further. They haven't grown up. Let's dig in. Uh, well, I guess I'll show you this too. I'm sorry, I forgot. But, but they're not alone. You're not alone if you struggle with that. You know who else struggle with that? Paul. 
Paul, the author of this letter to the church in Corinth, the same guy that's telling them to do better, he's not telling them to do better from a position of, you guys are dumb and I can't believe you're struggling with this. He has already said he struggles with the same thing. Right? Here's what he says in Romans 7. And remember when he wrote Romans, he was living in Corinth. Right? So when he went to Corinth, he was living there. He lived there for a year and a half. While he was there, he wrote a letter to the church in Rome right? And in that letter, he says, look, man, I get it. The flesh is strong. The world is pushing against you and the flesh is strong. Here's what he says. I don't understand my own actions. This is Paul, a giant in the faith, right? The missionary of missionaries, right? The one who planted these churches and he's saying to them, I don't understand my own actions, I don't, I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate, right? Here's what he's saying. He's like, I know what I want to do. I want to live a godly life. I want to follow Jesus. I want to obey, but I don't, and I don't want to sin. I don't want to get stuck in that, and I do. So Paul says, it's this struggle, and he says, so it's no longer I who do it, but because I'm made new. I'm a new believer. I've got the heart uh, that God has given me, and I've got the Holy Spirit living inside of me, but my flesh is still there. It's the sin in me that's still there. I know nothing good dwells in me, right, in my flesh, right? I have the desire to do what's right, but sometimes not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. And so Paul says, like, like this, is, this is real. The struggle is real. I don't know how long you've been a Christian or how mature you think you are in Christ. But the problems that you have sometimes where you keep doing things you don't want to do, Right? That's the flesh. That's the sin nature. That's the part of you that's still there. Even after coming to know Christ, even after being born again, you still have a sin nature. You still have the flesh. And you're not alone. Paul still had it too. Right? It, however long you've been a Christian, no matter how mature you are, you still are going to struggle sometimes. Right? And, and it's still going to be hard. So Paul isn't talking to the church um, in, in a mode of of, um, I have no idea why you're still struggling with this. He gets it. He's been there. But he still is trying to correct them and help them move on because he's moved. He's moved past this and he wants them to do the same. So let's dig in. Um, We're going to break it into two chunks. We're going to read nine verses. We'll do four and then we'll look at the last five and and we'll see how they, they break apart. But he starts in verse one. But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. He says, that's how I had to address you. And you know what? That makes sense, doesn't it? We say this all the time. The, the, the front doors to the church should be wide open. So there should always be people here who are brand new Christians. If we do our job as a church... If you do your job as evangelists, right, we're all called to be evangelists. We're all called to share the good news, right? We're so to be, uh, Christ says, you're to be my witnesses, right? We're, we're to make disciples, 
teaching, baptizing, all of these things. This is who we are as a church. And if we do a good job, we're inviting neighbors, coworkers, friends, family. We're always inviting people to come here because they need to know the gospel. And so they come as either non-Christians or baby Christians, or, or maybe as they come as non-Christians, they, they respond to Jesus and they get saved and now they're baby Christians and this is where they are. And it's good that they're there, right? The church should always have brand new baby Christians in it. If the church ever stops having brand new baby Christians in it, then guess what? We're going to have a much neater, much cleaner, much less difficulty um, kind of a church, right? It's going to be easier. There aren't going to be a whole lot of problems. Nobody's going to get stuck in sin. There won't be a whole lot of messes to clean up. And we will be failing at our mission. Unfortunately, a lot of times that's how we look, well, what the church should be, right? The church should be above all that. There should be no division in the church. There should be no fighting in the church. There should be no irritations in the church. There should be nobody in the church that ever sins outside of it. None of that should ever happen. Listen, if that stops happening, we've stopped reaching people for the gospel. The problem is, what Paul's saying is, I, I, I wanted to talk to you as spiritual people, but I couldn't. He's not talking about new people coming in the church that take time to grow up. He's talking about the church as a whole, right? There's a difference, right? Immaturity in the church will happen when we do our job as evangelists and bring people to the gospel. But being an immature church should not ever happen. You have to understand the difference. Immaturity will happen as new people come to faith and then they'll struggle to run the race and grow up. But when a whole church is stuck, that's where we've got a problem. So Paul says, I, brothers, I couldn't address you as spiritual people because you weren't, you weren't ready. You were of the flesh and you were infants. And that makes sense, right? And you'll notice here he calls them brothers. He does this again. This isn't a matter of him rebuking or correcting or threatening, right? He's saying, look, I'm standing not over you in judgment, but I'm standing with you as a believer that knows this struggle. Brothers, I'm with you. And it makes me wonder, when Paul says brothers, he's not just using a word, but he literally views the church in Corinth as his family. Not his blood family, but he views them as family, as relation, as connected. And I wonder, how many of us that call this place home, how many of us that call Blessed Hope Community Church home, how many of us really view each other as family? I, I mean, do, do we really get what Paul's saying there? I mean, we know we're the body of Christ. We're the family of God together here at Blessed Hope. But how many of you really view each other that way? I mean, do you really look at other people here as, as connected to you in that way, as your brothers and sisters in the Lord in this strong familial pull? I hope that you do. But I'm afraid too often we don't do it that way. Now, here's the deal. Can you be connected to every single person in the church in that intimate of a way? No, you can't. But can everybody be connected to somebody in that way? Yeah, absolutely. Right? Like, like the elders, it's impossible for the elders to connect with every person that calls Blessed Hope home in that intimate kind of a way. 
But, but can we be a church where everybody that calls this place home has some of those connections, even if they don't have them with everybody? I hope so. And part of the onus for that falls on you. Part of the onus that falls on you to make some of those connections. I've talked to people that have said to me, Matt, I, I, I just don't feel connected to people in the church. And so then my, my natural question after I say, you know, I'm sorry that that's the way it is. That's not the way God designed it. It shouldn't be that way. And I wish somebody had approached you and, and, and tried to pull you in and connect with you in that way. But, but here's my question. Have you made an effort like that somewhere else? Have you reached out to somebody? Have you, have you tried to make a connection so that you start to feel that? Or are you just waiting for somebody to do it for you? And part of that is, is if we really want to feel this, like what Paul is feeling here is he's connecting. He's like, brothers, brothers, sisters. Like, I, I, I feel you as family. I can encourage you because we're together in this. And if you don't feel that, then I'm sorry that you don't feel that. And my encouragement to you is don't wait for somebody else to initiate but you. And we've said this time and time again, especially over COVID. It's on us to make efforts to connect with people that we haven't seen. People that are staying away because of COVID or people that have drifted away because of just uh, time and connection and, and lethargy. We need to make those connections. In fact, the elders have, have we've tried to make it a little easier. Um, at the Welcome Center, I think I put this out there a little while ago, but at the Welcome Center, there are a bunch of $25 gift cards to some different restaurants here in town. And you can have them. All you got to do is, is go to the Welcome Center and ask for one. Here's the only thing we're going to ask is that you take it um, to have dinner with somebody you, that, that, that calls this place home that you haven't seen in a while. Right? Take one and, and figure out somebody that calls this place home that you haven't seen because of COVID or for whatever other reason or they go to a different service. They go to the first, not the second, whatever it is. And just give them a call and say, hey, you know what? Could we go out to dinner? Could we go out to lunch? And if they're leaving their house, great. If they're locked away from COVID, hey, you know what? Can I bring you dinner? Can I bring you some lunch? And, and maybe that gift card covers all of it. Maybe it only covers part of it, but it's a step there. But, but we make an effort to connect with one another. So that with Paul, we could say that we are brothers and sisters. That we can say that family connection is real. Because that's the basis of everything he's going to say, right? Because you can't walk up to a stranger. You can't walk up to somebody you don't know and say, man, you are childish. You got to knock that off, right? That's a bad idea. It doesn't work. But Paul, because he can honestly say, I love you and I'm connected to you. You are my family. I pray for you. I pour myself out for you. We are in this together. And because of that, I need you to know, man, you're immature. He says, I, I wanted to address you as spiritual people, but I couldn't because you were still acting like you were in the flesh. You're immature. You've walked through the door of Christianity, but you haven't gone any further. And he says, man, I, so here's what I did. I fed you with milk, not solid food because you weren't ready for it. And while that made sense at first, it doesn't make sense anymore because even now you're not ready because you're still of the flesh. See, this is the point he's making. He's, he's, he's like, he's like I, I tried to feed you 
meaty things. You weren't ready. Okay? So I kept giving you milk. And now I still can't feed you meaty things because you're still not ready. You're still not ready. And and it's probably been five years since Paul ministered in Corinth, right? He went, he established the church, he was there for a year and a half, then he's been gone for three and a half years, and, and now he's writing this letter. It's been five years. Five years, and you're still babies. You still need milk. I mean, can you think of how weird it would be? Right? Like, like when we are born physically, we are born intact. Assuming that we're healthy, we have 10 fingers, 10 toes, all of our organs, everything in the right places. It just is what it is. And then physically, over five years, we will have grown into a five-year-old. That's the way it naturally works. The problem is when you become a Christian, same thing. You are born spiritually intact as a newborn, right? Except you don't naturally grow. That growth takes effort, right? Like there's nothing more awesome than a baby that sleeps through the night. Babies that act like babies are joys. 20-year-olds that have the mind of an infant are tragic. Right? We get that physically, but we don't get it spiritually. But it's no different. Paul says, you're five years old. You should, you should be further along than this. But you're still acting like an infant. And, and you know what? There's, there's a couple of problems here. Sometimes churches, um, sometimes leadership in churches, they contribute to this. Sometimes leadership in churches contribute to this. Right? Because they, they don't take discipleship seriously. And they don't hold people to account for discipleship. Right, so sometimes churches are at play. Sometimes congregations are at play. I know pastors that have been fired or encouraged to resign because they wanted to give meatier things. Because they wanted to hold people accountable to what their flesh is doing. Right? But people didn't want that. They wanted sermons of milk. Right? Because sermons of milk don't challenge the flesh that's rearing up in you. And so I, sometimes it, it cuts both ways, but, but here's the deal. The onus for spiritual growth, while the church needs to do a work in that, and the church needs to have a part in that, the onus for spiritual growth is on you as an individual. The onus is on you as an individual. Where the church job, see, the church can't make you grow. The church can't force you to grow. That's up to you. Now, the church's job is to make it uncomfortable if you won't grow. Right? Sometimes here's what we do in churches. When people come through the door and, and they, they get born again, right? They come through the door, they get saved, they get baptized, they're a new believer, they're a Christian. Then we just say, okay, now you sit and you go at your own pace. You don't want to be in a small group? That's fine. Maybe you'll want to be in a small group some other time. You don't want to do Bible study? That's okay. When you're ready, you'll do it. Right? You don't want to serve in any place in the church. You don't want to contribute to the body here at all. Oh, it's fine. You, know, you, don't, you don't want to give. You don't want to get plugged in. No, no worries. You know, you'll get there. And we take this attitude that, well, 
when they're ready, they'll start. And then we got 5, 10, 15 years, and nobody's moved. Right? Can you imagine how, how hard it would be or, or the alarms that would go off if you took a child in for their five-year checkup and they were still the size of an infant? Right? The doctors wouldn't sit back and say, don't worry about it. They'll get there when they're ready. They'll go at their own pace. Someday soon, maybe they'll start crawling and turning over and sitting up and walking. They'll get there. But sometimes that's what we do at the church. So it's on the church. The leadership has to push. But the onus of growth is on the individual. And it's really not complicated. You want to know how to grow spiritually? It's not complicated. It's not easy because the world is pushing against you and your flesh is hard. But growing spiritually is, is not a complicated thing to figure out. There are two things you need to do. And it's not about being smarter. Paul told us last week in 1 Corinthians 2 that it was not about wisdom right? Because the wisdom of the world is not enough. It's about the faith. And so here's what you do to grow. Obey. And when you jack it up, repent. That's it. There is no grand secret to how this is supposed to work. You want to grow spiritually, you got two things in front of you. Obey where you know what God wants you to do, and when you mess it up, you repent. That's it. That's all it takes to grow spiritually. Now, you may not know exactly everything that God wants you to do. But where you know, you are obligated to obey. Right? And here's the thing. While you may not know everything that God wants you to do, you know. You know what sin is. You know what sin is. You know what a hard heart is. You know what gossip is. You know what pornography is. You know what sex outside of marriage is. You know what all of these things are. Right? You know what a foul mouth sounds like. You know what crudeness feels like. You've got the Holy Spirit of God living inside of you. You're not confused about those things. You're like, man, I can't seem to grow spiritually. Well, here's the deal. You will not grow spiritually until you start to do those two things. It's not complicated. Obey God, and when you screw it up, repent. And when I say repent, I don't mean like just say, oh, man, hope I don't do that tomorrow. And then just keep living the same way. I mean repent. Like confess your sin to God. And do things differently so that you're not trying to get stuck in the same sin. And, and maybe you'll mess up again. And then you repent and you dig in and you try harder. And God is just and faithful to forgive. Look, if we confess our sins, this is what John says in 1 John 1, nine. If we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive. He'll cleanse us from all our unrighteousness. He'll help us grow mature. It's not complicated. Like I, I, I'm saying during first service that, that I, I feel like I'm like oh, I'm yelling a little bit about this and getting all worked up. I can only imagine how Paul felt when he was writing it. Like it's not hard. Obey and repent. But he says you, you're still in the flesh. You're still stuck. You haven't grown up yet. You refuse. Um, and he says, and because, and this is where we come back into the divisiveness. He says, because you're still acting like children, right? Then you're being selfish. 
right? We, we all know that children are self-focused. We love them. But one of the things we try to grow out of them is that they could stop being selfish, stop just thinking about themselves. We celebrate it when we can start to think about other people and be other-focused. He says, well, here's the deal. You're still of the flesh because there is jealousy and strife among you. And when there's jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? Of course you are, right? Because childishness, right? Childishness, self-centeredness, selfishness, that breeds strife, Right? Because I've put myself at the center of the universe and everything revolves around me. It breeds strife. It breeds jealousy. It breeds difficulties. And Paul says, when you do that, aren't you acting in a way that's just merely human? You're acting in a human way. And you know what? There's nothing that drives me crazier. People sit in my office all the time in counseling or, or they tell me... Um, and sometimes it's in an okay context, but more often than not, people say it as an excuse. Well, I'm only human. I'm only human. Like, like somehow that makes it okay. Well, yeah, I know I screwed up and I know I did wrong, but, but come on, I'm only human. Well, here, here's the deal. Paul's not saying this in a, yeah, there's strife and quarreling and jealousy among you, but that's okay because you're only human. He's saying, listen, you're acting like babies and you're acting childish and it's caused jealousy and strife among you and and that's in the flesh because you're behaving in, in a human way. You're not only human. You are born again in Jesus Christ. You have the Holy Spirit living inside of you. You are not merely human like everybody else. You are different than everybody else. You don't have to get stuck in the same stuff. Tell me that you're only human Like somehow that explains it away. Paul says, stop acting like you're only human. Stop acting like you're only human because you're not. You're born again believers in Jesus Christ with the power of the Holy Spirit living inside of you. Stop acting this way. And how is it showing up that they're acting in ways, jealousy, strife, and all of this? One says, I follow Paul. And another says, I follow Apollos. And he says, when you do that, you're just being merely human. Knock it off. The whole first four verses here is just Paul simply saying this. You're acting immature. You came to faith. And then you stopped. You said, hey, I'm a Christian. I get to go to heaven. And you stopped. And so now there's something that I need to tell you and I need to recognize. And for some of you, this will give you a sigh of relief. For others, it will be frustrating. But for all of you, it it should give you some, some, if you struggle with this, maybe some inclination about why you struggle. Are immature Christians going to heaven? Yeah. Immature Christians will go to heaven. Right? Because it was never about what we accomplish. It was always about the cross of Christ. It was always about what he accomplished on the cross. When we surrender to Jesus, when we accept the sacrifice, when we follow Jesus, when we say, Jesus, we are trusting you, and we enter through the door of salvation, our salvation is set. It is a gift of God. We didn't earn it. We didn't deserve it. It's a gift. Immature Christians are going to heaven. 
But here's the problem. Immature Christians are going to live a life of pain and heartache and emptiness and sorrow. It is going to be void of purpose and passion. And here's why. Because they aren't being who they are. Like there's this thing in our world, this, this thing where, oh, you just, you have to be true to yourself. Right? That that's the way to be self-actualized. That's the way to be happy. Just be true to yourself. Right? And, and, and all in all, that's pretty dumb. So if you've given that advice, quit it. Right? <laughs> there, there's no secret. Oh, just be true to yourself and then everything will work out right. No, 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 no. You, you've got to surrender to God. But, but here's the problem. If you say, I'm a Christian... But then you live a life that doesn't act like you're a Christian, you're split. Right? You're, you're disjointed. You, you, you basically are dealing with multiple personalities here. Right? You're saying, I follow Jesus. But yet, you're not following Jesus. And your life is going to be hard because of it. There's no joy in that. There's no passion in that. There's pain. There's conviction. There's shame and guilt, right? Because who I know I am is not who I'm acting like I am. And, and, and it's crazy and it doesn't work. And some of you are so frustrated with your spirituality. Some of you feel so stunned and empty. And you're, th- this life just doesn't seem to have a whole lot of joy for you. Right? And the joy you do find is so short-lived. The problem is, right, that, that you're living a life that's disjointed. Instead of growing as a Christian and being more mature and digging in and being more like Jesus, you're settling for just camping out at the starting point and just being a baby. Being an infant. And the problem with that, right, is that while you may get to go to heaven, this life is going to be devoid of the things that you're craving. And the substitutes you find, the sin that you engage in along the way because you think it's what you want, it's fleeting and it leaves you feeling empty and shame and you know it. And so, so we come back to this and Paul says, look, I want you to grow up. Stop, stop bickering. Stop letting strife and jealousy and all that nonsense in. You, you want to get past that. You just, you just got to grow. How do you grow? You obey. And when you, when you mess up, you repent. And you dig in and you keep going. And how do you do all that? Well, Paul gives this. He, he says, you know, the, the simple answer to this is you just look at Jesus. Just look at Jesus. Stop fighting about preferences and divisions, right? He says, Paul, Apollos, he's like, knock that off. That's your flesh talking. So we start talking about following Paul. I follow Apollos. I like this one. I like that one. He's like, that's your flesh. And you got you to gotta stop with that. He says, because we're nothing. We're nothing. He says, what's Apollos? What's Paul? Man, we're only servants. We are instruments of your salvation. We're not the cause of your salvation. Right? 
The Lord assigned us tasks. We did the tasks, but he's the one that made everything work. He says, I planted, I started the church. Apollos came along after the church was established and, and watered it and cultivated it, right? But God is the one that caused things to happen because of it. Like, stop looking at me. You want to know how this works? Look at Jesus. Obedience. Repentance. Look at Jesus. It says, neither he, nor, he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. Look at Jesus. Obedience. Repentance. He who plants and he who waters are one. And each will receive his wages according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. And so Paul's saying this. He's like, yeah, I was there. Apollos was there. Somebody else is coming at some point. We all do the things God's given us to do. And you know what? God will reward us for it. God will reward us for it. But it was never about us. It was about Jesus. It was only in your immaturity, in your flesh, in your childishness that you thought it was us. So you want to get past that? Then look at Jesus. He's the one that does all this. Obey. And when you mess up, repent. When you obey and repent, then you are engaging in spiritual growth. And you are putting to death your flesh. You remember how Jesus said in uh, the Gospels that if we were going to be his followers, that we had to die to ourselves every day. You remember that? That weird sounding thing? Like, what does it mean to die to yourself every day? This is what it's talking about. It's talking about putting to death the flesh that's in you. Your sinful desires. Because your sinful desire wants to build a bridge to let sin in. Sin cannot get in you, in your life, unless you allow it in. Satan doesn't have that power over you. The world doesn't have that power over you. The world can tempt. The world can draw. It's like fishing. The world can throw out the hook with the bait on it. But it only gets in if your flesh allows it in. And so Paul says it's time to put to death the flesh. You're acting like spiritual babies when you ought to be growing. I'm giving you milk. You ought to be eating meat. You ought to be eating solid food. It's time to grow up. Obey. And when you mess up, repent. So as we wrap up, I I, I got a couple of questions for you here. And I'm going to answer the first one for you because I'm generous. Right? Three questions. I'm going to answer the first one. Are you a carnal Christian? Carnal just means fleshy, right? Are you a Christian that still um, struggles with the flesh? Yes, you are. I know you are. Paul was, right? Paul was. We are too. We are carnal Christians. We struggle with flesh. We struggle with our desires that are ungodly, right? We struggle to do the things that we want to do, and we struggle with not doing the things that we know are wrong. If it was true for Paul, it's true for us. So then here's the reflection question. Where is your flesh having its way? Where is the sin in your life winning?
It's not going to be the same for everybody. But there are themes. Right? So, I mean, I can't say it's going to be the same for everybody, but there's themes. Is it, is it just in, in, in things that you know you shouldn't be doing? Simple things that God has clearly said in his word that you are rejecting by the way you live your life. Where's the flesh that's having its way with you? Right? Is it lust that somehow is getting the better of you? Is it addiction to something that's getting the better of you? Is it a tongue that is untamed? Like, what is it that's getting the better of you? Lisa, you said that about Facebook. Like, Facebook told me I have a problem with my time. I'm like, Facebook is really nosy. Like, how does Facebook know that? And then it's because you told it, and then it reminded you. But I'm like, man, I got to get that app to tell me every day where my flesh is causing me a problem. Like, here's the, come on. Where is it? I don't know. Lust. Alcohol, drugs, another kind of addiction, a tongue. I, I don't know what it is for you, but I promise you there is a, a place in your life where, where your flesh wants to have its way. And our job is to kill it. To kill it. To put it to death. Christ said, pick up your cross and follow me. Die to yourself. You must crucify the flesh daily. I know it sounds weird and it's not a way we normally talk, but if you want to grow in your spirituality, then you must obey God and you must repent when you mess up. And that means you have to put to death the flesh, the sin, the desire to do wrong. And so part of my question for you is, are you ready? Are you ready to deal with it? Are you ready to repent? to confess, to crucify it, to kill it. My encouragement to you is, is if you just walk away and you took a couple notes and you're like, huh, okay, that was interesting, um, then this was like milk. It's a truth that you know more about, but that has not done something in you. That's milk. But if you want it to be like meat, like Paul is saying, something meaty, solid, then it needs to be a truth that you not only understand, but that you do something with. So this is the question, where is the flesh winning? And are you ready to crucify it? If you are, you don't have to do that by yourself. In fact, I'd I'd venture to say that you've probably tried. (laughs) And if you could do it easily by yourself, you would have already. So let's talk. Talk to me. Elders, staff, somebody that you trust that you know is mature in the Lord, doesn't matter, doesn't have to be me, but, but let's, let's come ready to confess and repent and to put it to death. I'm going to pray for us and, uh, and then we'll go. Heavenly Father, God, we love you. We love your word. Thank you so much for the truth that that as we walk through the door of faith, as we accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior and we turn our lives over to him, that we have become new creations and that our, uh, our, our salvation is in you and it's secure. But Father, we know and confess that there are far too many of us that just sit there. And, and you 
didn't call us to just sit as infants in Christ, but you've called us to mature and grow and to run the race of faith. And so, Father, I I ask for you through the power of your Holy Spirit to convict us, to push us, to pull us, to move us in maturity. Help us to be obedient where we understand your word and your will and help us to repent when we make mistakes in areas where we've fallen. And God, in doing that, we trust that you are faithful and that you will continue to help us persevere. Father, we love you. We praise you. We just thank you for all things. Amen.